0: Open. Outspoken. It's Ophthalmology Off the Grid. An honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Hello and welcome to Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm Dr. Blake Williamson. In this episode, I'm once again joined by my esteemed co-host, Dr. Daryl White, founder of Sky Vision Centers in Westlake, Ohio. And we are fortunate enough to have two outstanding guests, Dr. Maria Scott and Dr. Lisa Fulner. We have a great discussion about the different paths each of us have taken in our own careers and how we all balance our personal and professional goals. Let's hear more about their perspectives on Off the Grid. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm your host, Blake Williamson, and I'm hanging out with my main man, Daryl White. Uh, so happy to have him as co-host for these this, this uh, round of episodes. Loved our chat last last episode with Priya about matriculation into private practice from, from academics and what that's like and, and, and we're looking forward to today's because, Daryl, we talked about, you know, the idea of this career arc and, and sort of like one of the things that I was telling you about is how, you know, things that were important to me in my first three to five years of practice were, were different, my my second five years of practice. And you said, you know what, that's an interesting thought because. You feel the same way. There's things that you value more professionally and personally now, uh, maybe more so than you did 10 years ago. Um, and so maybe kind of talk to us about uh, this, this topic and and and, uh, and maybe introduce uh, our, our guests on the show today.
1: Well, first of all, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here, Blake. I'm having a blast. I'm kind of addicted to this. So you should probably expect me to just parachute in every Friday. We'll do this on your blues thing. Um, we'll just we'll just make it a thing. I'll get all my frequent flyer miles to New Orleans and and uh, and do that. But um, yeah, this is a cool topic. Uh, you you when we go into med school and we start our residencies, we're on this four year plan, right? We went to four years of high school, four years of college, four years of medical school, and then if we don't do a fellowship, it's four years of residency. And even if you do a fellowship, it's just another year or two. So you're on this prescribed schedule where every four years, you know you're going someplace else. And if you have a partner along with you, then he or she have kind of bought into that same schedule. Bring some children into the equation, and now you've got a whole caravan of human beings who are following you on this pathway. Academia maybe going to the military, private practice, big groups that are now here when they just didn't exist when our guests and I started into practice. And then if you're fortunate, maybe you get asked to share some of your thoughts about stuff outside of your practice Somebody asks you to speak on their behalf, or maybe you've got a particular talent or a particular niche, and they say, gosh, you know, we'd like to have you come in and talk to our executives. And we call those, those folks uh, KOLs, which I hate that term, you know, the key opinion leader. I don't want to be a key opinion leader. I, I want to share my knowledge of what I've done and who I am. And so I'm thrilled to uh, introduce our two guests, Maria Scott and Lisa Fulner, two kind of mid-career docs who are, you know, we're all kind of heading into our final three innings, um, and you guys can't see us, but Blake is this handsome guy with perfect New Orleans hair, and I'm this, you know, skinny, pasty, white guy, my hair's thinning, my, uh, you know, my, my hairline is like sprinting for the back of my head. And then we have these two women who are brilliant, fantastic businesswomen, people who have done literally everything. They started their own practices, they did, they did the family thing. Got into the KOL business, got out of the KOL business, people demanded that they come back in. And now they're part of an enormous private equity-backed practice. And so what I thought we'd do, Lisa and Maria, if your game, we got this rookie here. We got this guy, you know, he's got everything going for him. He has superstar written all over him. So Let's let's tell him about our experiences and see if we might be able to help him, A, avoid any pitfalls that we ran into when we were young and wet behind the ears, but also maybe tell him about some of the good decisions that we made along the way. And I'll start with my story, just, just beginning. And then as you guys know, I, I, I like to ask questions and then sit back, but I'll just briefly tell my story. Um, when I went into practice, I got all these great offers. Do you want to talk to about this thing? Do you want to consult on that thing? And I just thought I was just the stuff. I was just cool as get out. Well, we had a board meeting at White Family Inc. I am not the chairperson of White Family Inc. As you guys all know, that would be my wife, Beth. She's the smart one. She's the good looking one. She's the one who runs everything. And she said, listen, If this is what you think is going to make you feel fulfilled in your career, go for it. I've got your back. No matter what it takes, I'm all there. But if you're just doing it because you kind of think it's going to be fun, you know, pal, I just assume you come home for dinner. So at age 34, I stepped off. Didn't speak. Didn't go to anything but the two big meetings. Did a little bit of behind-the-scenes consulting off the books for some friends of mine, but didn't do anything for 12 years. Stayed home coached football, coached basketball, went to horse shows, all that kind of stuff. You guys had similar opportunities. They were a little bit different. Lisa's got a PhD. Maria, you built this enormous practice. So let me throw it to you guys. And I'm just going to randomly pick Maria because, you know, you guys can't see this, but Maria's sporting the best hair tonight, even better than Blake's. So... Maria, let's start this off talking about the early part of your career, what you thought was going to be important, and what rapidly became obvious to you was really important, and how you managed it. And Lisa, you 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 get to be the, the ringer here because you know what the topic is going to be, so you can think about what your answer is going to be. I'm putting Maria right on the spot.
2: Thanks, Daryl. Thanks, Blake. Really good to um, be here tonight with you guys. So it's interesting today, um, we're renovating our office. So I was cleaning out my office and I found my goals when I first started in practice. And I started out in practice with someone else for two years and decided to move to Annapolis and wanted to be close because we wanted to raise a family. So I opened up practice. And the, the wonderful thing of having two years was I could see what was good and what was bad in a practice. And I saw what mistakes this gentleman made so it gave me a head start in beginning my own practice, but I did start from scratch. Nine docs were already here, 35,000 people in Annapolis. And they said, really, there's not much room. And I said, that's okay, I'll learn to sail. But fortunately it was a time when extra caps was still like the East coast was the last to go Faco. And so half the people were still doing extra caps. And I was the first one to come out of residency trained in Faco. So it was a nice transition. So in my goals, I had set them out and it said, um, you know, first, the first year I want to be able to do a cataract a week and see, you know, 10 patients for the first six months, 20 by the end of the first year, and then 30 by five years and do three to four cataracts. And when they said I wasn't going to be busy, I said, great, I'll learn to sail. But there was just an opportunity. And luckily for me, I did very well, got very busy, but I was just the opposite of you, Daryl, in that I was really under the radar. No one paid attention, new to practice, you know, did maybe 25 cases my first year. And then it was when I finally hit 500, it was like a bell went off and every commercial leader kind of came and started talking to me and wanting me to speak. But by then I had young children and I was building my practices, very, very busy at the time. And you had to make a decision. You know, it's, it's hard to work full time, be a parent, be present, and also be out there speaking all the time. And so I made a conscious decision at that point that I was going to put the practice of my family first and not do the KOL things. And I said, if when the kids are in school, you still want me, then I'll do it then. And so as I got, the kids got off to school, People were still asking, and um, fortunately, the Cedars Aspen became a wonderful group in which I joined and have become part of a speaker group later in life, after the kids went off to school, and it's been fabulous.
1: Just as an aside, um, in in the creation of the Cedars Aspens group, this, the Cedars was a group of men who were getting together partly for educational purposes partly to kind of cement their their relationship with industry. But, you know, let's let's be fair, partly to go to Vegas. And I, they, they only brought one person in per year for the first however many years. And I was the number two voted person for years and years. And I said, forget it, don't nominate me anymore. I'm going to be the first boy who's a member of Aspen's, which was the comparable women's group. And uh, so, it, 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 I, I agree. It's a wonderful group. Well, Lisa, tell us a little bit about the early part of of your career, and you know, compare and contrast it with with my experience and Maria's experience, because you've got a, a an asset that the rest of us don't have. I mean, you're you're a PhD, you're an MD PhD.
3: As Maria's sister always calls me, Doctor Doctor. You know, I have a lot of things in my experience that are similar to both of you, Um, but the beginning was really different. When I was young, I kind of always knew that I was going to be a PhD. wasn't sure about the medical part, but gradually grew to know that I was going to do this MD PhD, and I was going to study the brain, and I was going to be this world famous academic physician and lecture and do research and teach residents and be a neurosurgeon and never on my radar was there ever the chance that i was had any interest in being married or have children at all um and it was in the middle of uh, my phd part where i met my husband um who was a postdoctoral fellow he's a he's also a doctor doctor uh he's a JD phd and um my life came to a screeching halt so the girl who never wanted to be married met her husband got engaged in three months, and married six months later, and now we're going on 31 years. And suddenly, and I think it's a real lesson that um, the way the picture we paint of our lives, um, sometimes you gotta white over it because it's gonna look different than you planned. And the girl who didn't want to get married was suddenly married. And then you know, a few years later, kids came into the picture while I was a resident, because as you said, I did the PhD, so I was much older. Um, as a med student and um, as a resident. And so I had my first while I was a resident. And, you know, suddenly my priorities really changed for how I wanted to live my life. And I saw other women academic physicians really struggling to succeed um, as a wife, a mom, a researcher, teaching and seeing patients. And for the first time in my life, you know, I had never doubted myself from ever from the beginning but suddenly I found myself doubting my ability to be really great and uh, it really had to face what did I want and part of it was my husband says if you keep going to school and become a fellow and all these things (laughs) you're going to be doing it alone because I'm tired of you being in school and part of it was Um, just deciding since I couldn't be great at everything what did I want to be great at and the first two things on the list were being a wife and a mother and um, I knew that I could still be a great doctor but I couldn't do it in academics so I decided to go into private practice Um, and like Maria I used my first two experiences in private practice to learn what I liked and what I didn't like you know my first practice was this huge practice I was operating, you know, 40 cataracts a week. I didn't even know the names of the patients There were just, you know, 70, 80 patients a day in the clinic. And I really thought maybe I chose the wrong career because I didn't know my patients and I really didn't like that. Um, And so I went to a very small private practice where it was much slower and I knew my patients, lower volume. And I kind of learned from both of those things, what I wanted. And then, you know, my husband was traveling a lot and never home and I was working away far from my family. So, my husband's like, why don't you open your own practice? And it kind of like, I never imagined in my life that I would own my own practice or open my own practice. I really felt like I had no knowledge to do that, but you know, it was really my husband pushing me out of the nest and having the confidence in me to say that you can do this. Um, and you know, I used like Maria, you know, some of the things that I had learned along the way from those other practices and, um, really did a different pathway than Maria where I actually um, shared space with four optometrists and we had two different businesses, but we built each other, them um, from their vision and optical, which I referred to them and mean that they would send me all their med surge. And we both just blew up and and both got big and grew. And eventually I bought their practice. So um, somehow along the way, shooting from the hip, I (laughs) made it happen. Um, and like Maria, I, I really had my nose to the grindstone now on, you know, three priorities, wife, mother, and building a business and watch some of my colleagues who were, you know, going out and speaking and their businesses were suffering. They, they were losing traction and losing patience because they just weren't present enough. When you have a smaller practice, you have to be present to, to really make it grow and, and keep your eye on it. Um, and waited until my kids were older and um, started getting involved in um, being a KOL and speaking and doing the things that I really set out to do, which is a lot of research. It's a different, it's not bench research like my PhD was in, but it was more clinical research and using my mind to think about problems and solutions and designing clinical studies and helping companies design good studies, you know, and um. I really found that I enjoyed that. And that's been something that I've had the opportunity to do now later in life. And um, I think that I don't regret my choice at all because my kids are now out of the house. And um, my husband's retired, like Maria, so we can't figure out what we did wrong, that our men are retired and we're still working. Um, but actually, I'm having a lot of fun now. And uh, in December, I, um, as you mentioned, sold my practice to the private equity that Maria founded. Um, and hoping over time that it gives me even more free time to do the things I love. Like maybe you learn to sail. I don't know. But that's my story. That's,
1: that's, that's awesome. So Blake, share with uh, Maria and Lisa just, just briefly the, how in the last year or two, you have purposefully and consciously throttled back a little bit in order to shift your priorities a little bit closer to home.
0: My situation was, with, was, was different in that you know, there was this machine that I was getting plugged into. And the day that I you know, started my very first day in private practice, I think I did 20 cataracts. And that was because my uncle, who had been practicing for nearly 40 years, retired the day I started. And so I walked into this thing and got very busy. And as as Maria was saying, the second that you start doing volume is whenever all the people start to call and ask about going to speak about this lens that you're doing a lot of or, or whatever it is. So I got very busy doing that very very quickly. And to me, in my first few years of practice, you know, I, I thought I was kind of like you, Daryl. I was like, "Wow, oh, this is great! I can't believe they're interested in having me talk about this." I remember my first ever uh, booth talk was with Sherry Rowan in the and the & long booth on the on the floor uh, of Ascrus, and I I prepared for like you know, three weeks for my little uh, four-minute booth talk. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, um, and that kind of started me down the path, and then, you know, what happened was, you know, business and family, you know, so, so I, 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 I sired, you know, three stallions in five years. My boys now are seven, three, and two, but we had three boys back-to-back, back, and I got busier and busier with, with surgery, and I became an owner of our practice, so around about five years into practice, I became an owner of Williamson Eye Center and our surgery center. And so, you know, it got to the point where I was like, gosh, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying yes to a lot of these different KOL engagements and I have fun doing them and I'm only speaking about stuff that I care about, um, you know. But after a while, I was like, you know, maybe I need to dial that back uh, and only speak about a few things that I'm really, really passionate about. Like, for instance, I may use let's just say combagan, or I may use Restasis. But is it something that I'm really passionate about, talking about and teaching other physicians? Do I really need to be in, you know, Fayetteville, Arkansas on a Thursday night talking about an eye drop for dry eye? No, because that's not that's not my favorite thing within what I do. Um, so now it's really just about refractive surgery and, and MIGS are, are my two buckets that I'll, that I get passionate about and it's fun. But, but even going to conferences, you know, I, I used to be the guy where, I get an email from like Eric Donenfeld or Carrie Solomon or somebody. They say, Hey, we want you to be on this panel uh, with us and David Chang. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's, I wonder why. And then it's like Tuesday at like 3 PM. And I'm like, ah, that's why. And so the first few years I did that. And I was like, this is great. Just so I could be on the panel and just like, look at David Chang up close. But then now, you know, six years in, I'm kind of like, yeah, I can't do that. I can't miss two days of work and a surgery morning. That's insane. So, so literally, I find myself now going to the main conferences just for like 48 hours, whereas I used to stay for a week and I would say yes to every opportunity. And, and I always say that the day that I could drop my three boys off at one school. Um, you know, so they'd be, you know, right this year, really, um, you know, they could all be in pre-K two, pre-K three, and then, and then first grade together. The day we had one drop off is the day I was going to stop cons- consulting widely, like I was doing. Um, and, and that was this year. And so so I've kind of dialed it back. And, you know, we still will we'll go to some of the smaller meetings like ACOS and things like that. But it's it's very much a family vibe. Like, I'm not going somewhere unless Nicole's going um, or my kiddos are going, in, in which case I'm having fun. That's like, you know, it's, it's not it's not I'm not away from my family. They're with me. So I, I realized that I couldn't really find work life balance. That, that's not wasn't hasn't been possible for me. Um, but instead, I've kind of combined the two like many of us do. Uh, and that was the advice I got, you know, for, for, for how to do this and how to stay married. Uh, and still, you know, see your kids and stuff like that. So, so that's kind of what it is uh, for me now. And, 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 I've, and actually, uh, starting August 1, um, I'll, uh, I'm no longer seeing patients on Fridays. So uh, Friday is going to be an administrative day for me. So I'm going to a four-day work week in office uh, which I think will further sort of allow me to participate in my kid's life. On Friday, I'm going to drop them off to school and pick them up, you know, because I, I was always envious. My wife was like, oh, I'd love for you to drop them off. I'm like, I know. I just want to drop them off once. I think that'd be so fun. And they're so pumped up to see me uh, pick them up. Occasionally, I'll finish clinic enough where I could go pick them up from school and it blows their mind. Well, now I get to do that every Friday. So, so, so that's kind of what I'm, where I started and kind of where I am now.
1: So the three of us are, are kind of, um, I guess the, the best way to describe it now is none of us are really truly on the glide path, but we can all see the glide path on the radar. And so we've, we've got a whole other step, and that's probably a whole other podcast. So let's try to, to tell Blake what to expect in this big mid-career section where you're working, you're doing some of your best work, you're doing lots of volume. But at the same time, you've got the thrill of watching your children become individuals. I mean, this is where we figured out that, you know, even though my son didn't figure it out, you kept pretending he was going to be pre-med. He was never going to be pre-med. The kid managed to get through college without taking physics. Nobody goes to the med school if they don't take physics. You know, he's a lawyer. It's perfect absolutely perfect. His mother knew he was going to be a lawyer as soon as he could talk. But there's this, the big middle is, or was for me at least, about being a dad. And so my situation is definitely different from, from yours, Lisa, and yours, Maria, because um, like Blake, um, Beth retired when we had our children and stayed home. So she was home and I got to really pick and choose what I chose to do was, was come home. So let's, let's switch it up here. And, you know, we'll, we could talk about this, you know, forever, but Lisa, give a a little bit of perspective on that, the meat of your, your practice career and how you prioritize the way you prioritized it. So let's, let's give Blake a little crystal ball into that next phase of the career, because, you know, He his dad is having so much fun that he has no idea. Blake has no idea what the end of the career is like because his dad is just, I mean, he's he's still riding the bucking Bronco. Um, You know, you guys are normal. So just give him, give him a little, give him that next perspective.
3: You know, so I think if you have two working members um, of your family, you have to have trusted daycare because there's no way that you can be home. And so for one, for me, having trusted daycare, um, you know, I, when I moved my practice closer to my house, I could drive my kids to school, but I couldn't pick them up because they finished at like 2.30 or 3. So I drove my kids every day, even in high school, when they, let, they went to school in the city, I still drove my daughter to school and got back to clinic in time. And I did. I cherished those moments with her, but we had daycare from get-go, nannies and um, other kind of helpers at home that we trusted and that the kids loved. Um, but, you know, for me in the middle and the meat, while I was really building and working really hard, um, as I still am, I, I used all of my vacation days, um, that I had to, um, go on field trips with my kids or be the room mom or, you know, do whatever it was that all the other moms did naturally. I had to re- really get, use my vacation time to do that. And, um, I think that that gave me the energy just to keep working hard in the middle. I think Blake has it right at a really young age to to prioritize your kids and your family, because it really does. No matter how many times you hear it, it goes so fast. And that moment is gone. And there's so many special moments that these kids bring home to you um, that you just want to grab all of them. And so I think, you know, prioritizing your kids and your home life and your marriage and then work is is such an important thing. And and sometimes even that picture you paint for your career, it either takes a different road and keeps changing. Um, But I think there's always the possibility, as long as you have the passion to come back to where you started from with your career, once the other things that pull from your life have kind of eased up. So your kids become more independent. They're older. They actually don't want to hang out with you anymore. They don't want to barely talk to you. Um, you know. And then you, you have to fill your time because you've created time and then they don't want to spend time with you. Uh, and that's when I sort of started getting back into putting myself out there when my youngest decided that he'd rather sit in his room with his pop socket phone on his foot, his iPad in one hand and his computer in the other, playing the digital stereo rather than talk to me. Um, and so I think that I think that's the lesson is, you know, when they want you and need you, just be there. And, you know, know that if you have the passion, the skills, um, you can always go back to the career that you think you left behind.
2: Like you're such a rock star from the beginning that you will always be desirable. And so I applaud you for making the decision to put your family first. Lisa's absolutely right. Um, you are right, that, Daryl, that, that maybe you do have a little advantage because you have these wonderful supportive spouses that did put the family as the priority and stopped working for them. And it is a little bit more difficult when you're juggling two. And luckily, you know, Lisa and I had supportive husbands. Her. Her husband was traveling all the time, and then made made a decision to be part of the family, um, kind of mid-career. So he made the same sacrifices in his career as she did, putting the family first. I've always had an extremely supportive husband, but his his career was very rigid. You know, he was an anesthesiologist, so his schedule was not his. He had call. Um, so more of it was on me, but also, you know, when I worked, I really wanted to spend time as soon as I got home with the kids and he allowed me to do it. You know, he would do the dishes so I could um, read to the kids and give them their baths. And we had a wonderful nanny who was there for 11 years. So having that, that help, it really does take a whole group of people to make it a great family. But um You know, I sat in many a a lecture with Howard Fine and Dick Lindstrom and your father and listened. And so I also think it's very important to give back and you have to do that for other people once you have the experience. So it's nice to be able to have the opportunity now that, you know, the kids are out and I do have more freedom to get out and speak again. But I, I still value my family and my life with my husband more than anything else. And I think that's just so important because they're the people that are, are gonna miss you when you're gone. But selfishly, I've made so many wonderful friends in ophthalmology that it's fabulous to go and, and Blake, one of the things I have trouble with is that you're really going from 6.30 or you can at least from 6.30 to 11. And the way some of the industry restrictions are, you can't bring your spouses to the dinners. Um, and so I, I always feel that when I'm away, if I bring my spouse or my kids, I feel torn and I'm pulled between trying to get the most out of the meeting. So I do what you do and kind of do a quick in quick out, but usually don't bring them along unless it's a Caribbean eye or something that's a little different where you have the afternoons off like ACOS, you know, afternoons are up, but it is important to give back. And I like the way you've decided to pick up a couple passionate things, you know, and, and not do every meeting. And absolutely. If you're out of the clinic, you're not making money. So if you have to close half of your clinic, you know, leave at one so that you can get to the the flight and, and do your seven o'clock talk and then get back in the morning. It, it's, it's a loss leader for sure.
3: So Maria, I was thinking, you know, about our, our husbands. So we've, The way we've worked out um, bringing our husbands is that uh, with Denise Visco, the three husbands, Matt, Dave, and my husband, Greg, they're like the best buddies. They hang out and get into all kinds of trouble together, which kind of allows us to bring them and then go to the meeting. So even if they can't go to something, they get into trouble all by themselves. Um, and so that's also another key is that make sure your spouse makes friends.
0: Yeah, that's good. And also, if you can, if you own your business or, or you have you know, influence to, to do this, put them on the payroll. You know, so Nicole does a lot of our social media stuff. She's a, she's our marketing, a marketing assistant, so she can come uh, because of that. And she's on the payroll. They can check that out. So that's another thing, too. Daryl, I want to ask you, man, um, I know we're kind of, you know, wrapping up here, but, you know, when I talked to you about this idea and I was like, man, is this bad that I'm feeling I need to kind of slow it down and not do as many speaking engagements and kind of like really, you know, whittle this down. You told me that you stepped away and you told the story that you just told a, a minute ago. Um, number one, did you miss it? And number two, were you concerned that they weren't going to invite you back? Because I've had some people tell me, no, if you know, if you, if you start saying no a bunch, uh, and then seven eight years down the road, you say, "Hey, you know, let's get it started again." They may leave you in the dust. I find that hard to believe, but I'm just curious what you think.
1: Yeah, so um, in all honesty, Blake, you know, you don't know me nearly as well as as Lisa and Maria do. I mean, they're they're two of my closest friends in the world. Um, I didn't care. I didn't care. I made I made the decision that was the right decision for us. Um, in, in my world, and you've met my, my wife, Beth, Beth is universally known as, as Daryl's better 95%. And at that, she's probably getting cheated, because you know, it's at least 95%. Um, so no, I, I, um, I was fully aware of the fact that stepping away at age 34 might mean stepping away forever. And I was totally comfortable with that. Um, the fact that at 46, I got rediscovered, I mean, it's like it's like one of the greatest mulligans in the in the history of, uh, you know, the whole speaking and consulting thing. I never expected to to be of interest to anybody. And the fact that I got to do it again was huge, huge bonus. But having not done that, I really know my kids. I really, really know my kids and I know my kids so much better than my dad knew us. Um, I mean, I didn't really get to know my dad until I was in my late 20s. It turns out that my dad was a great guy. You know, we thought he was a deaf mute with a belt. And, uh, you know, but it turns out that when we go, uh, when my brother and I got to, to learn who he was to his friends, he's a great guy. But I got to do that when my kids were in preschool. And, you know, now they're all married. Um, the next phase, which, again, is another whole podcast. I have grandchildren. Oh, I had three of the grandchildren here in the house yesterday for Beth's birthday. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, the kids are good. The grandchildren are very good, but, um, it, it is a concern if it's really important to you, but at the end of the day, what was more important to me was coaching basketball, coaching football, going to horse shows. And I didn't understand anything about horses or riding horses, but my daughter knew I was there. And she knew that that dad was there and that he was watching. And, you know, the, the, the cool thing now looking backwards is my daughter has really described the three phases of her dad. In the beginning, I was work dad. I was very intense. Even when I came home, it took a little while to, to wind down kind of in my 30s, early 40s. Then I was CrossFit dad. CrossFit dad was cool. It was very surprising to my children that their dad could be cool. Uh, now I'm Lake Dad. Um, I I hang out on a lake. I'm very chill. Everybody really likes Lake Dad very well, but in order to know why it's cool that Lake Dad is Lake Dad, you had to know the other guys. So, it um, I think that the, the take home message from Lisa and Maria and D White is the priority really should be home if you can pull it off, and. The next priority is, you know, you have to take care of your bread and butter. You take care of your practice, take care of your partners, take care of the people who work for you, take care of your patients. If you have some time left over and you can pull it off. Yeah, this KOL thing, this speaking thing, this consulting thing, it's a blast. I mean, I I don't do that. I don't meet Maria and Lisa. You know, Maria and Lisa shared Beth's 60th birthday with me at ACOS last year, um, the Maria and Lisa and their husbands and I took Beth on a hike up to an Alpine lake at the highest point in Guardsman's Pass where we had a picnic and fed chipmunks. And, you know, that's that's the payback really for making the decisions that you've made. So, you know, uh, the three of us speaking to you, but hopefully speaking through you to everybody else out there, there are lots of different ways that you can make a career successful. But as the three of us head into whatever the last three innings might be, you know, in the, the very first part of our our years, were very much like what you've just done. The middle part is about working, but you've already set the stage for that really important emphasis on what happens at home. Um, yeah, invite us back. We'll talk to you about the last three innings, but um, we we collectively think that you have done a terrific job of setting your priorities. And I, I, I please don't think this is presumptuous. I've told you this before, but um, I'm incredibly proud of you. It's very, very seductive to to just let that train take you. And you said, no, your your priority was your wife and your kids and your family. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And, and you know, I would bet that Lisa and Maria feel the same way.
3: I don't think you'll ever be sorry, Blake, for the choices that you're making,
2: ever. And they will always be there for you. I mean, industry, whenever you want to step back in again, they will be there. Don't worry.
0: And I think that, you know, uh, for, for all the young surgeons that are listening to this podcast, and we have a pretty wide reach, you know, if you're asking yourself what you need to be doing, I think you just need to talk to people like this who are happy. Just find the happiest people and uh, ask what they do and almost always they'll, they'll sit you down and tell you you know sort of their roadmap and you can kind of pick and choose what applies to you and so it's uh it's really um been inspiring to listen to you guys i really appreciate you coming on the show uh and uh my, my co-captain uh d white we got uh one more podcast coming up bro i'm looking forward to it Thank you to Dr. Maria and Lisa for joining Daryl and me for this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. See you next time.